Hello, I'm CM Conway, the filmmaker of the witty and poignant indie, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, now on Prime Video, and funnyfailurefilm.com. On this now monthly podcast, we celebrate funny flubs, bodacious blunders, and miraculous missteps that happen to us as artists. So hone your funny bone and let's get started. Welcome to the show, inspired by the diverse grassroots indie How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, a film that follows Ellie and her best friend, Ben, along with their friends, Kiki and Didi. The film functions as a fun how-not-to guide. Since there's so many rosy tales about Hollywood and how to succeed, the film fills in the large gap of tips of what not to do, the pratfalls, and the pitfalls to avoid, and how not to fall on your face. The inspiring film is dedicated to bold artists and dreamers trying to make it against all odds, who comprise most of the industry itself. And the characters embrace their bodacious blunders. And that's what we try to do on this show. So if you're an artist and you'd like to share the mishap that's happened in your creative journey, please go to funnyfailurefilm.com and click on Share Your Story. Today, we're going to finish chapter 12 that we started last week, which is an edited version of the book entitled Autobiography of an Actress, or Eight Years on the Stage, written by Anna Cora Moat. She was a French-born American actress, and also an author, playwright, public reader, and preservationist. Her best-known work as a playwright was the comedic satire Fashion. And this book was written in 1853, And it is a bit of a different wrinkle for our show. And next week, we'll be back to our regular programming. This was just a fun historical diversion along the way. So without further ado, here's the ending of the story that I started last week. Mrs. Vernon, who played my mother, was already seated at a small table in Madame de Chapelle's drawing room. I took my place on the sofa opposite to her, holding in my hand a magnificent bouquet Claude's supposed offering to Pauline. After a few whispered words of encouragement, Mr. Moat left me to witness the performance from the front of the house. Somebody spread my Pauline scarf on the chair beside me. Somebody else arranged the folds of my train symmetrically. Somebody's fingers gathered into their place a few stray curls. The stage manager gave the order of, Clear the stage, ladies and gentlemen! And I heard sound the little bell or the raising of the curtain. Until that moment, I do not think a pulse in my frame had quickened its beating. But then I was seized with a stiffening sensation, as though I were choking. I could only gasp out, No, not yet, I cannot. Of course, there was general confusion. Managers, actors, prompter, all rushed on the stage. Some offered water, some scent bottles, some fanned me. Everybody seemed prepared to witness a fainting fit or an attack of hysterics, or something equally ridiculous. I was arguing with myself against the absurdity of this ungovernable emotion, this humiliating exhibition, and making a desperate endeavor to regain my self-possession when Mr. Skerritt thrust his comic face over somebody's shoulder. He looked at me with an expression of quizzical exultation and exclaimed, 
Didn't I tell you so? Where's all the courage, eh? The words recalled my boast of the morning, or rather they recalled the recollections upon which that boast was founded. My composure returned as rapidly as it had departed. I laughed at my own weakness. Are you getting better? Kindly inquired the stage manager. Let the curtain rise, was a satisfactory answer. Mr. Berry clapped his hands, a signal for the stage to be vacated. The crowd at once disappeared. Madame de Chapelle and Pauline sat alone as before. The tinkling bell of the warning rang, and the curtain slowly ascended, disclosing the first footlights, then the ocean of heads beyond them in the pit, then the brilliant array of ladies in the boxes, tier after tier, and finally the thronged galleries. I found these footlights an invaluable aid to the necessary illusion. They formed a dazzling barrier that separated the spectator from the ideal world in which the actor dwelt. Their glare prevented the eye from being distracted by objects without the precincts of that luminous semicircle. They were a friendly protection, a warm comfort, an idealizing auxiliary. The debutante was greeted warmly. Live theater has had such a long tradition around the world. A little fun behind-the-scenes tip of our film, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, we have a nod to one of the oldest theaters that is known to be in existence. And if you see the film, you will know it when you see it. But I felt that there were so many similarities between an actor's experience in 1853 on the stage and today. And the trials, tribulations, and triumphs, including making a bodacious blunder now and then. Thank you for joining us in the How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood podcast. Copyright by Showstoppers and FunnyFailureFilm.com Intro and outro song, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star by David Mumford. Until next time, remember, mistakes makes art more interesting. <laughs>